Uh, this is a, is a great day, um, but I also know even as I say that, uh, there's mixed emotions with any day. You know, just some of us are in this room this morning and remembering the mom we lost, or, or maybe you're remembering and thinking about how you want to be a mom. And so, um, regardless, I think um, it's just great uh, that we're able to gather together and realize that if you're in this place and Mother's Day is a painful day for you, or it's a joyful day, uh, we do this together as a community and we celebrate together and we walk with each other through life and we're not alone. And so that's a, it's a great way to transition into this uh, sermon because uh, that's a big theme of our passage. So if you have a Bible, please open it up to Psalm 23. That's where we're at this morning. As we're going through this five-week series in the Psalms called I Feel, Psalm 23. And once you get there, if you could rise to your feet, I'm going to read this over us and you could join me by standing in honor of God's Word. You might have heard this before, but follow along, please. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us in this moment. God, we know that if it's just me talking, that's not going to have much effect on us. And so, God, we pray that you would take your word and apply it to our lives, that we might live differently as transformed people in this place. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks for standing. Um, I've been really excited to teach this psalm uh, this morning. Um, uh, This is a really famous psalm. I mean, you've seen this hanging on someone's wall in a frame. Uh, You've seen it on a mug somewhere, I'm certain. Right, uh, these words you've probably you may have heard them. They've been stolen uh, from different people. Famously, hip hop artist Coolio and Gangsters Paradise in the '90s. You heard that song, right? Uh, or better yet, uh, Weird Al stole Coolio's words, who stole the words from this psalm called Amish Paradise. Right? I'm not a big Weird Al fan, but I love that song. So if you've never heard it, uh, you should go listen to it today. I sing it to my kids all the time. It's probably annoying. But nonetheless, this psalm is very famous. And always, as I say, don't let the familiarity of it, I guess, cause you to disengage this morning. Uh, the reason it's so familiar is because it's so good. And it's breathed life into people over centuries and centuries and centuries. I think the reason that it's been so important to so many people is because it deals with one of the most dominating emotions of our lives. And that emotion is fear. It's fear. It deals with fear. Fear, guys, it's a powerful emotion, isn't it? It's very powerful. It's, It's controlling, isn't it? Fear is a controlling emotion. We all experience it. We all experienced it this week. It left some of us paralyzed in different situations. It may have left you not wanting to take a step and move in a specific direction because you were so terrified of what that might mean for you. It's a very controlling fear. And I don't think I need to spend really any more time standing up here trying to prove to you that you experience fear. 
like you do. I don't care how manly and tough you think you are or how much you want to admit it or not. We all experience fear. We all come to moments in our life where we say, I'm afraid. I feel very afraid. So let's just be real this morning. When you walked in here, like what are, what are you most afraid of in life? Like what is it that you were most afraid of? What is it that dominates your life? What's that thing that's controlling you? It creates that kind of fear in you. I'm not talking about heights or public speaking or something like that, although that, those are terrifying things for most people. I'm not talking about spiders, okay? Let's get honest, you know, let's get real this morning. Like, what are you afraid of? I don't know what it is for you. I can't answer that. You might be afraid someone's going to leave you. You finally got the one and you're afraid it's not going to work out. They're going to leave you at some point or, I don't know, abandonment. People not liking you. It could be death. I don't know. Like, what, what is it for you? It's important you identify that this morning before we walk through this psalm. Because I think our fears, like all our emotions, guys, they speak very loudly to us. We've been talking about that. And if we would just, like, listen a little bit, it would be telling you so much about your heart. Your fear this morning, if you listen to it, if you recognize it, it will begin to describe for you and show you what your heart is after. It speaks to us not only about what our heart is after, though, but it reveals to you what you think or feel is the thing that you lack in your life. Or it's revealing to you what you think you have that if you lost it, you're like, I can't live without it. It tells you so much about your heart, your fears do. Um, I only have one psalm and one sermon to talk about this this morning. Um, so if you're wanting to explore more about fear, I would like to recommend to you a book by Ed Welch called When People Are Big and God is Small. It's called When People Are Big and God is Small, and it deal, deals with the fear of man, which is a lot of our fear. And so I just want to recommend that to you. Uh, but for this morning in Psalm 23, great psalm. It's going to give so much direction to us. But I think it shows us uh, what creates our fears it shows us the solution to your fear this morning. It really does. And finally, it shows you the end of your fear, like the end of all fear. Okay, so first, the first thing we're going to see this morning is what creates our fear. Let's look in verses one through three. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So here, the baseline of the psalm is set. In the very first line, it reveals what is often at the heart of our fears or what is at the heart of being afraid. And it's being in want. It's being in want. It's not really debated. David, who's writing this psalm, Almost every commentator believes he's in a place of fear in his life. And so in the first line, he sets the baseline. He says, uh, it's, it's being in want. It, it's being in want and not being sure if you'll ever not be in want. And if you just think about that for a moment, you realize that our fears are often created when we are in want. And so when, when we feel like we need something or that we're going to need something, or we aren't sure if we're going to get that thing, or if what we actually have is maybe going to be lost at some point, then those longings and those desires and those wants create this space where fear creeps in because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if we're going to get it. We don't know if we're going to lose it. So it's this idea of wanting, this reality of us longing and wanting and having these wants where fear creeps in and is birthed in our lives. 
And so I, again, I don't know what this is for you. But you might be here this morning and you have really good desires, you have good wants. And you're thinking, I, I want to provide for my family. But you're in a position where you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. It's not adding up for me right now. What happens? Create space, fear comes in. I want everyone to like me. Okay? First of all, it's just not going to ever happen, right? Um, but nonetheless, we go, I want everyone to like me. Okay? That's a longing, a want that you have that's going to create space for that fear, right? I want so-and-so to never stop loving me or abandon me. I have them now, but I'm afraid they're going to leave me. Or I want to be healthy, or I want so-and-so to be healthy. Maybe they're not healthy, or maybe they are healthy, and you're afraid that they're going to become unhealthy someday. So fear creeps into our lives. Or I want to know the future, right? Or I want to know what I should do uh, so that I don't make the wrong decision and then destroy my life. You know, I don't, I, where am I supposed to go after I'm done gradu- when I'm done graduating college or something like that, right? I want to be in a stress-free place of rest, okay? Nonetheless, being in a place of want, guys, it creates the space for fear to arise. If I'm in want and I think I either need something I don't have or I can't lose whatever it is that I do have, then I will begin to experience fear. But what's David doing here in this psalm? Is he in want? Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. At minimum, he's fighting for it. And at maximum, he's in a place where he is not in want at all. Look at what he's doing. What's David doing in these verses? In the whole psalm, really, but in verses one through three, what's he doing? He's talking to himself. He's preaching to himself. He's telling himself. He's reminding himself what is true. He's battling his fear in life with true. Well, what's, what's the truth he's preaching to himself? What is his reality? You see it, and it's in the very first line. What's the reality he's preaching to himself? That he isn't the shepherd of his life. That he isn't shepherding himself. He says, Yahweh, God of Israel, the God of the world, the creator God, he is my shepherd. He's not just a shepherd, he's my shepherd. David here grabs this word shepherd, which is, it's the most intimate and comprehensive metaphor that we encounter ever in the Psalms when we look at who God is. And it's interesting that David doesn't go, the king is my, you know, I have this king on my side. He doesn't call God deliverer. He doesn't call him the impersonal rock or shield. He uses the word shepherd. In the same way, guys, if you're sitting in that seat and you are a Christian, right, you've trusted in Jesus to save you. You've followed him in the waters of baptism, right? You've professed faith in Jesus. If you're a Christian this morning, then you are his sheep. And I never hung out with sheep, okay, just being honest. Never really hung out with sheep. But I hear that sheep are really dumb, okay? I hear they're very dumb from everybody who ever hangs out with them. I understand from what people tell me, sheep really need a shepherd, or else they're going to wander off and do dumb things. They're going to destroy their lives, right? They need guidance. If they don't have one, they'll wander off and find destruction. But in your life, in your moments of being afraid, you are not a sheep without a shepherd. This says the Lord, Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God for his people, the God who makes life and sustains life, is your shepherd. And so here's a very helpful question to ask yourself when you feel afraid. Okay, here's the question. You should write this one down. When you experience fear, ask yourself, who do I see as my shepherd? Who is my shepherd? Begin to ask yourself that. Is it myself? Is my perception that I'm shepherding myself through life? Is it someone else? Is it something else maybe? Or is it God? 
Let me tell you, how you answer that will determine, I think, your level of fear. You'll begin to battle it, potentially. It's like this, imagine that you had to hike the Pacific Coast Trail, right, the PCT, which runs from Southern California all the way to Canada. Some of you are like, yes, let's do it. Some of you are like, I would never do it. But nonetheless, imagine that you had to. Okay, I don't know why you have to, but let's just say you had to for some reason, okay? It was a requirement for life, all right? Let's just say you had to do that. You've never been backpacking in your life, all right? And so you're posed the question, all right, you can do this alone, you can do it with Josh Howith, or you could do it with Bear Grylls, all right? What are you going to do? If you have to do it, Right? If you're anything like me, that's going to create a lot of different emotional type of responses based upon who I'm doing it with. All right, so if this is you, you're hopefully going to say Bear Grylls, right? Because you're going to go, I'm going to have a lot more confidence, I'm going to have fun, right? If there's a bear, he'll kill it, I'm sure, with his bare hands or something, right? If you're going to choose me, you're probably going to quickly, you know, go over that option. You're going to say, I'd rather go alone, okay? Uh, because I want to survive, maybe, or feel like my life's in my own hands. Josh might do something stupid that, you know, I would never do, and it's going to harm me, right? Who is going to shepherd you through this, you know, trail, the Pacific Coast Trail, uh, is a very important question, as you're going to do something like that, and who is shepherding you is going to create a whole different disposition in your life. See, the, excuse me, the reality, though, guys, here is that God is your shepherd, and His coat is really wooly, He's not a distant shepherd. He's amongst his sheep. He's constantly with you. But how is God shepherding you through not the Pacific Coast Trail, but through life? How is he shepherding you? Well, it says he makes you lie down in green pastures. He takes you out among these beautiful fields here in the Willamette Valley, in theory, right? He doesn't find a a mound of bedrock in a desert and say, here you go, lie down, try to find food somewhere. He doesn't do that. No, he leads you into, into luscious places, where there's plentiful food, right? This is an is image of provision that God is giving to you, and this image combats this imagery of fear because if you're afraid or fearful about providing, right, this image of God shepherding you shows that you aren't providing for yourself, God provides for you. Then it says he leads you beside still waters. I don't know about you, but I, I love being at a river, right? It's peaceful. But here God is leading you beside still waters, kind of that place where you want to take a nap, Right? Not a roaring rapid, so to speak, but this imagery is being led to still waters. This is an image of rest. Right? This, this combats the feelings of fear because our fear creates what? A lack of rest. It's how we feel when we're afraid. Fear creates stress and anxiety and depression and hopelessness, but here that is combated with God leading you to restful places. It says he restores your soul. And this word soul isn't intended to imply something the shepherd is doing spiritually to you, although it definitely includes that. This is talking about restoring you as a total person and your wholeness. So in other words, David is depleted, he's empty, he's broken, he's damaged. And here, God the shepherd is not only providing food and rest, he's restoring him, he's mending him. Then it says he leads you in paths of righteousness, This doesn't say that he leads you towards righteousness, but he leads you in righteousness. This word righteousness is a word that connotes a straight path, being on a straight path, not a crooked path. He leads you down straight ones. Well, why does God do any of this? It culminates the end of verse 3 telling you why. He does it for his name's sake. Man, what a fixed and firm foundation to depend upon. 
God will act, and he's going to lead you and shepherd you for his name's sake. He will do this because of who he is, and he will always display who he is to the watching world. Guys, God will not go against his character. He will not go against his nature. He'll do this for his own name's sake. Now, I don't know, some of you are, are city people this morning, and you're like, I have to live in a rural area to really understand this. I don't know. But this morning, when you hear that God's, le- God's leading you in green pastures or beside still waters and down paths, this might sound awful, just being honest, right? It sounds like camping or something. And I mean, you, you see images like this in art galleries and on your Instagram feed or something, but you would just connect way more with David if he was saying, God, you know, makes me lie down on a California king in the Marriott. You know, he leads me into a spa, not by a river, that's mud there, you know, or he, he leads me in freeways of righteousness, like straight ones, like I-5 or something, you know. And that's fine, you could think of it that way. Nonetheless, that's the imagery you're supposed to, to gain here. The point is this, if you have God, then you are not without a shepherd this morning. And you could try to shepherd your own life, but you don't need to. And that's where the fear is creeping in, because that's what you're trying to do. You might perceive that you're in want, but when God is your shepherd, you are never in want. But but if you eliminate the shepherd from these verses, then yes, emphatically yes, you are in want because you then need to figure out and piece together how you're going to get to places of provision in your life or how you're going to find rest or how you're going to be restored or what paths you're supposed to go down in life. You've got to figure it out. This is the whole image here. It's this place of want and who's going to meet these wants. Um, I love uh, Audrey Assad. She's, you've probably heard of her, I don't know, maybe. Uh, she's a, she writes beautiful songs, right? Every song she writes, I'm like, this is so pretty. Uh, she, I, I'm convinced that she could sing It's a Small World, and I would like listen to it on repeat, okay? Um, but she writes a, a song you might be uh, familiar with. It's based on this psalm. It's called I Shall Not Want, and the lyrics will be on the screen because it connects to this exact moment. So it's from, from, the, from the love of my own comfort, from the fear of having nothing, from a life of worldly passions, deliver me, O God. From the need to be understood and from a need to be accepted, from the fear of being lonely, deliver me, O God. From the fear of serving others, oh, and from the fear of death or trial, and from the fear of humility, deliver me, O God. And I shall not want No, I shall not want. When I taste your goodness, I shall not want. So so you don't need to experience want when you see that you have God as your shepherd, providing for you all that your heart is longing for. But then see where this shepherd takes you next. Look in verse four with me. He's leading you into fearful places, ironically. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let, me. let me just ask you something before we go any further into this passage, okay? When I asked you earlier what you are most afraid of, I want to ask you a follow-up to that, okay? Hopefully you can think of something now. And this is it. What is it that you walked in here with this morning? And you were thinking, maybe even just really subconsciously, you're thinking, man, if I had blank, then I would no longer be afraid. Like if I just had blank, fill in the blank, not blank, but fill in the blank, like I would just, I would no longer be afraid. 
whatever, it's a circumstance that's landed in the way that you want it to land. I don't know whatever it is, but if I had this, I would no longer have fear in my life. What is that? Because notice here, this straight path that the shepherd led you down, where did it go? Well, it went to the valley of the shadow of death. Now, wait a minute here. Um, I thought we were hanging out at the Marriott, right, on our way to the spa. What are we doing in some dark alley in downtown Los Angeles? Like, what's happening here? This is kind of confusing. Well, it's important to realize that God isn't lost, okay? He didn't take a wrong turn. But that valley is the path that leads you to the place where you need to go. And that path he's leading you down isn't the ultimate destination. It's just a path to get you to the destination. But nonetheless, he's led you into it. Guys, this valley of the shadow of death, it can be translated the valley of deep darkness. And the imagery here is that you are in a place that seems to have the shadow of death just like hanging over it. It's not death, but it feels like death. That's the place that David's in. And we all know this. A shadow, you guys, is it's merely something that is what? The absence of light. Because there's something blocking the light. And so that shadow is pointing to an actual substance. It's pointing to the real thing. It's just the shadow, but it's pointing to the, the real thing. It's pointing you to the substance. So, so it's like this. It's a really beautiful sunny day outside, correct? It's awesome. Thank you, Tennessee people, for bringing the sunshine. We appreciate it. Okay, so if we walked outside this morning and I saw you off in the distance, and I said, hey, man, great to see you, and I'm running up to meet you, and if I then looked at your shadow and knelt down on my hands and knees and I started hugging your shadow, like, what are you going to do? We're probably not going to be friends anymore. I assume that. But if you're a really nice person, what are you going to do? You're going to call the doctor, right? You're going to say, there's something wrong with you. Why? Because we all know the shadow isn't the real thing. It's pointing to the real thing. You don't hug a shadow, you hug the person, right? This is the same imagery you're supposed to get here, right? This is important because we often find ourselves in the valleys of life, and those valleys don't feel like the Willamette Valley, they feel like Death Valley. But they aren't death. They're just shadows of death, meaning what? That these are places of pain, these are places of suffering, right? These are places of challenges, they're places of hardship. Why are those things shadows of death? Because they are things that point to the fact, guys, the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And they all remind us that, oh yeah, death is coming for all of us. And this thing right now that I'm going through is showing me the world isn't right. See, this is the thing. The valley of the shadow of death, guys, it is actually the epitome of experiencing what you're fearful of. We aren't promised in this life that we won't experience things that we are afraid of. And here is exactly what we might be afraid of in this valley, and we begin to experience it in our lives. But what is David's response in this shadowy place? When David is in the heart of experiencing what he is afraid of, what is his response? Was he say, I will fear no evil? He's basically saying, when I'm facing my fears, I will not experience fear. When I'm in the midst of experiencing what it is that I'm afraid of, I will not be afraid. That's what he's saying. Why? Why can David say this? Why did David say this? Is it because he's like really buff and tough? Right? Is it because he's a hothead? Is it because he's delusional? Is it because he's witty and smart and he'll figure it out? 
Is it because he's wealthy and he's going to buy his way out? Is it because he's Nostradamus and he knows the future and he's like, don't worry, it's going to be fine? Why? Why does David say this? What does David see as the solution to his fear? How can he say with unabashed confidence, I will not fear any evil? What does that mean? Why? What's he say? He says, because you are with me. That's it. In the midst of my fears, I will not experience fear because you are with me. Who's he talking about, his wife, his kid, his best friend? Well, of course not. It's the shepherd. God, the shepherd, is with him. But notice something really interesting here. The verbiage changes to you. Earlier he's saying, he, the Lord is my shepherd. He does this, he does this, he does this. He gets in that place of darkness, and he says, you, you are with me. It's not he, it's you. See, when we go through places that feel like the shadow of death, places that would bring about fear in our lives, naturally, we press into the shepherd in those moments, in those places, guys, we, we know this if you've done it, our intimacy with God begins to grow in those hard places. In fact, there are so many things we know about God that are only often in our heads, and we think they might be in our hearts, but it's when we get into that valley spot that we realize it's only been in my head, this thing that I say I believe. It's not yet in my heart, but it's through the valley, it's through the challenge and the trial of life that God takes those things in our heads and he begins to move them into our hearts. And we begin to experience this intimacy with God in a way that we hadn't yet before. It's in the places of the valley where we begin to experience this intimacy. So what is the primary solution to your fear? Well, it's not just being provided for, whatever it is that you're wanting, the solution to your fear is to realize that you are not alone, that God is with you, that, that he will never leave you. This is so significant. I remember um, a little while back, um, Liz was out of town, and uh, I was putting the kids to bed, and I just thought I would joke around with my son, who's nine, and I said, hey, buddy, um, hey, I'm just going to go, you're fine, you're here with the kids, I'm just going to go take off for a while, and I'm going to like go to a movie or something, just get some alone time, just joking around with him. He looks at me and he sits up all wide-eyed and he goes, Dad, I am not ready for that kind of responsibility. <laughs> and I was like, dude, if you're saying sentences like that, I think you're ready, okay? <laughs> um, I was like, geez, okay? I was like, I'm just kidding, calm down. Um, but I get it. I might, I might be fine at home, unlike him, but I get it, man, in different levels. I mean, I remember when, when there were people asking us, encouraging us to, to start a new church in Corvallis about seven years ago. And I was like, I, I don't want to do it. I'm not your guy. And there were people like encouraging me to pray about it. And so I took a month to pray about it. And I got to a point where I was like, I still don't know. I just don't really want to do it. And so I went up to Crown Point for the day. because that's kind of like my happy place. And I sat there at the top of Crown Point with my Bible, and I opened it up, and I was like, God, I just need an answer today. I don't want to do it, but I don't want to be disobedient. And I was reading this psalm. It wasn't this one. It was a different one. And it just kept saying, do not be afraid. I am with you. Do not be afraid. I am with you. And it was just so vivid. God revealed to me in that moment the only reason why I didn't want to step forward in faith was because of fear. I didn't want to fail. I had this fear of failure. And God just illuminated that to my mind, that the reason why, in a sense, we almost weren't gathering in a room like this this morning could have been just because of fear. 
But he, he completely medicated and provided a solution to that fear by saying, not like, don't worry, you're not going to fail. No, he said, don't worry, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's the solution. But it's not just that he's with you, it's what he's doing when he's with you. Because how's God acting here? What's he doing? Well, he's armed. Right? He's armed with a rod and a staff, which you probably aren't armed with, but God is, okay? A rod for a shepherd was a tool that was used to protect the sheep, and then his staff had a little hook on it, and that was used to keep the sheep on the path. So if they're wandering, he just knock them back on the path. Right? He keep them on the way. And that speaks so much comfort to us, because if God is with you, he's not just like, I'm with you, but... I'm just going to keep standing close to you, following you around. No, he's guiding you. He's protecting you. He's keeping you on the path. And just think about that. A lot of our fear often arises out of wondering what we should do with our future or where we should go, but we see here that God has his staff to keep you on the right path. So if you're headed into a place of destruction and God doesn't want you to go there because he loves you and wants to protect you, he'll just put you back on the path. You don't have to figure out everything. You don't have to figure out your future. God's guiding you. So do you see, if God is with you in the dark valley, then, then not being afraid, guys, it's not mental gymnastics. It's not feeling really afraid and being like, well, I'm not really afraid and kind of projecting this false sense of fearlessness, but being terrified. No, when you realize God is with you in the dark valley, it's not mental gymnastics, but the absence of fear is actually the most natural thing in the world to experience, even when you're in the midst of your fear. I can say it to you like this, fear is a powerful emotion, isn't it? It's very powerful. Like if I said to you this morning, hey guys, just wanted you to know, I walked in here at like 9.45 and I saw this huge black widow spider and I went to kill it, but it scampered off. I couldn't find it. Let's just say I told you that and I kept moving on with my sermon. Like what's going to happen right now? Some of you are just, I'm out of here, okay? Uh, maybe you're going to be looking under your seat. At minimum, I'm going to keep going and you're going to start doing this, right? You're going to start feeling a little itch on you, right? Fear is powerful. It can begin to make you feel sort of like itchy, like, oh my gosh, there's a spider on me or whatever. Fear is very, very powerful, isn't it? It might not even be real, but you're experiencing it. So here's the thing. That fear, guys, is only so powerful until someone comes along and kills the spider, right? And when you see the spider killed... You go, okay, I can do this. And that's what it ends with here. Verse five, the end of fear, the spider's killed. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, David has been not only led out of darkness, but he's led into victory. He's led into a place where there's the complete absence of fear. He's no longer living in his fear. He's in the absence of it. He's in a place of victory. See, the image here is that his enemies are captured. He's in the presence of them, but they're watching him. They're observing him. They can't do anything to him. See, the language here shifts from God or Yahweh being considered as a shepherd and we as sheep, and all of a sudden we are humans, we're in a home, and we're eating dinner. And the image here shifts from God as shepherd to God as a hospitable host, you could say. Well, what's he doing? 
Well, God is preparing a meal. Well, where is he preparing the meal? Again, in the presence of David's enemies, what he is most feared. And I get it. This word enemy, right, it seems too intense of a word for us. We usually only associate the word enemy with, like, the Oregon Ducks or something or maybe, like, a nation that we're at war against, you know. But when it comes to just, like, people in our lives, we often don't say, that's my enemy. Like, we don't really do that, okay? But just consider what the definition of an enemy is. An enemy is anyone who's looking out for your destruction, right? There's someone or something that is opposed to your flourishing in life. That's an enemy. So your enemy this morning, it might be a person. I don't know. It may be an entity, but it most certainly is sin, and it most certainly is death. See, the image here is that God is preparing a feast for David. He's preparing a feast for you while the things that you feared and tried to bring you down are watching on and they're not watching on and looking at your downfall. They're watching on and they're seeing your flourishing. They're seeing you savor and feast on a flourishing meal. But they're also seeing more than that. They're seeing you honored. right? Because it says here God is anointing our head with oil which was like olive oil and perfume, right? Really greasy, okay? But in ancient culture, you would have your head anointed with this thing as a sign of honor before you entered into this fancy banquet. All right, so, so all this overflowing imagery, guys, it's meant to show that God is giving you his very best. He led you into that dark valley, but he's not out for your destruction. He's giving you his very best. But this is better than a feast, you guys, because in the Old Testament world, to eat and drink at someone's table, it didn't just show a sign that they were nourishing you. This was a sign that was uh, showing the world that there was a mutual bond or loyalty at this table. It wasn't just a nourishment issue when you would sit down with somebody. It was showing the world friendship. So this is showing the world that David has this friendship with God who's been with him all along. But more than a meal, there is a present reality to all of this because what he says, it says goodness and mercy, which the word mercy means steadfast love. This love and this goodness, it's gonna follow him. The word literally means pursue or hunt down. Right? It's gonna follow him and hunt him down all the days of his life. And so what is not following David here? It's not fear. Fear isn't following him. It's not failure. It's not misery. It's not all these things. Those things are not following David. They're not following you. It's goodness and love. It's God's love and mercy, his will that is following you. See, where is David at in these verses? Where is he? Where's he at? He's in the house of the Lord. He's with God in God's residence. For how long? How, does the meal, how long does the meal last? How long are you invited to be in the presence of God as a guest? Well, here, to be God's guest is to be more than an acquaintance, as if you're just invited to a meal and God's like, all right, you, it's time for you to go, right? I need to go to bed. Okay, you've overstayed your welcome. That's not at all what we see here, because here the invitation is to actually live with God. Because I will dwell in the house of the Lord not for dinner, forever. So you see here this reality, guys, of no more fear. There's no more pain. Well, how can you know that David's reality of the end of all fear will be your reality too? Well, one day, let me tell you this, guys, what you see here in Psalm 23, one day you can eat at the Psalm 23 table. 
because this communion table up here is before you. It exists before you this morning. Because of this table, you know you can find yourself at the Psalm 23 table one day. And this communion table this morning, guys, if you're a Christian and you take communion today, you must realize that this table, it stomps out your fear if you really understand what it means for you. Because years later, guys, after David, in a way long time after this psalm was written, another man, Jesus, he came along. And Jesus never strayed the path of righteousness in his life. But guys, when Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he feared no evil. But evil, you guys, actually drove him not into the shadow of death, but it drove him into the ultimate reality of death. He didn't experience the shadow, he experienced the ultimate reality of it. He experienced your death, and he experienced my death. He experienced death, not merely the shadow of it. And God the Father, guys, he didn't lead Jesus into green pastures or quiet waters. He led him up Calvary, not to a restful place, but to a place of restlessness. Well, why? Why? So that he could defeat your greatest enemy and your ultimate fears in life. He defeated death and he defeated sin so that every valley that you walk through this morning, you'll know that it's only a shadow. Even if death itself comes to you, it's not ultimate. It's still only a shadow because of this table here this morning. But not only did Jesus defeat those things, this table shows you this morning that God, that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, he brought you into a reconciled relationship with God so that you sit down at this table one day in Psalm 23 and you experience the friendship of God. What does that practically mean for your life? Well, if you've been reconciled to God on behalf of Jesus, then you can know without a shadow of a doubt this morning that God is with you, that he is always with you. Jesus didn't experience the shadow of death, but death itself, so that you could be reconciled to God. And what happens when you're reconciled to God on behalf of Jesus? You know you're not alone. Do you see how the gospel affects your life this morning when it comes to fear? Do you see it? The gospel casts out fear because you are loved and you know that God is with you and if that is a solution to your fear, then you could be fearless. His perfect love follows you. It hunts you down all the days of your life. And we sang it earlier, First John says it, perfect love, what, casts out fear. So you have a better shepherd this morning, if you know Jesus. And he said this, it's on the screen in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. So who is your shepherd this morning? Is it you? Is it someone else? What is the solution to your fear? What's your fill in the blank? 
Guys, because of Jesus, our fear this morning can begin to wane. And we can know that one day it will be no more. But let me tell you, you will live in fear if you think that you're the shepherd of your own life. If you think that someone else is the shepherd of your life. If you think that something else, like wealth or applause or something, is the shepherd of your life. Your fear will come and go in waves as that person or that thing comes and goes. Jesus said here in John, it's a terrible shepherd because the moment something comes up, they're gonna take off, they don't care about you. But Jesus, you guys, he's the better shepherd who not only speaks to you but guides you and not only does he guide you, he lays down his life for you. And when things get hard in that valley of the shadow of death, he doesn't abandon you. He doesn't leave you when you fail or when you slip up. He stays. He doesn't come and go. He stays. And he says here, guys, that there are sheep this morning that are without a shepherd. So let me just say to you, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, and you're living in fear because you're trying to be your own shepherd, hear the invitation of Christ this morning to say, come to me. I'll be your shepherd. I'll guide you. I'll protect you. I'll keep you on that path that leads to this table. And if you want to know more about that, please come and talk to me. I'd love to chat with you about what it means to give your life to Christ. But let me just end by saying, guys, our fears are always based on what ifs. They're always based on what ifs. And guys, Psalm 23, it's, it's guiding us to place our lives into the reality of what is. If you rest in Psalm 23, guys, that will stomp out the what-ifs that are paralyzing your life today. So let's pray. Father, I do want to ask you this morning that you would uh, let this psalm not just be a distant psalm or David's psalm, God, but that we would see ourselves in this psalm that we wouldn't see this as like um, a goal of where we want to get to in our lives someday, but that we'd see that this can be our life today because you are our shepherd, and so would you just allow us to experience your good guidance, Lord, as you guide us in this life and as you nurture us and feed us, as you care for us, as your love and your grace and mercy follow us, God. And Lord, I pray that um, you would make us as a church just fearless people that as we head out into this world this week amongst people who are very fearful, God, like we are, that our fear would begin to dissipate in a way that would show the world, Lord, a whole different life, a life that's had with you, Lord Jesus. So God, would you speak words of life into our fears this morning? No matter where we're at, God, I pray that you would speak words of life to us. In Christ's name, amen. Guys, we're gonna take communion together as a family this morning. And so would you rise to your feet? We're gonna sing one song. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you claim Christ, uh, there's tables in the lobby in the front here that have the bread and the cup. Would you come and grab those elements and then return to your seat? And then one of our elders is gonna come up and lead us in taking communion together. So let's respond to God's word through singing and through communion.
with the melody you surround me with the song of deliverance from my enemies till all my tears are gone cause I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God From my mother's womb You have chosen 